How's everybody doing? It's a live show. Uh, it's going to be tonight. And just before we get started, I have to say tonight is a weird show. Before uh, we get into it, we've got lots of requests for poetry, funny smut, all the rest of it. A little bit of a weird show on the author's side. I've been snowed in at the end of the world. It's like two degrees outside. There's snow, there's wind, there's all kinds of elemental stuff. And so I've done everything I can to grab as much radiant heat as possible and then pack it into myself and then shut everything off so that you guys can have a good show. Uh, what that means is taking a really hot bath, taking a really hot lunch, not eating much besides because, believe it or not, digestion actually slows down your metabolism and shit. So not eating much, eating hot, uh, taking a hot bath, and then I'm literally in a pair of sweats that I've owned forever, and then I'm wearing a pair of socks that one lady of the night got me, I'm wearing a robe that another lady of the night got me, and I'm wearing, I'm under a blanket that a third lady of the night got me. So I'm as wrapped up as possible, and even relating this right now, none of the ladies here have any fucking clue what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I'm freezing my balls off and I'm miserable. So if this is one of those moments where everyone's like, hey, everybody, you ready to have a good time tonight? And everyone's like, yeah! And it's like, well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm about to suffer for the next few hours. Everyone's like, yeah! And I'm like, okay, well, tone it down a little bit. My favorite personal Mitch Hedberg joke of all time. People like escalators, temporary stairs, all that. My personal Mitch Hedberg joke that I thought was just the greatest, and I, feel, I still think about 25 fucking years later and laugh. He's talking about how when he's first becoming a stand-up comic, he gets a paying gig. This is before he's a name or anything else. He's just part of the, part of the scene. He's a stand-up comic. And he gets one of his first paying gigs, and he does it, and nobody really gets what he's doing. And so the owner comes to him in between sets that night and goes, yeah, not enough people laugh, so I'm going to need you to sweep. And he goes, what? He's like, yeah, like I paid you to be an entertainer, but people weren't entertained enough, so in between sets, I'm going to need you to sweep in between, uh, you know, just earn your keep. And so Mitch Hedberg <laughs> endorsed this. He sweeps up. And then he starts his second set with, all right, so you people better either laugh or not drop shit. And that is my favorite Mitch Hedberg fucking punchline and story of all fucking time. <laughs> I don't care which it is. I'm getting paid either way, assholes. Just, like, let me get out of here when I'm done with this set. Okay? All right. So that's personally my favorite story, and I'm pretty much the same uh, way I try and I try and do the opposite of spirit. So I've done everything I can to taunt-taunt myself up so that I'm going to be able to get through uh, all of this smut. I have to say, it is the perfect night to not have serious smut because I don't know if you've ever tried to read something sexy when your balls were freezing as a woman. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever actually tried that, but it's not pleasant. I imagine it's akin like, what if your entire period was condensed? Not not the period itself, apologies. What if your entire uh, period uh, constellation of symptoms that you find unpleasant was condensed into four hours, and then you had to go and fucking... Re like, what would your gonads be doing? Because that's what ours do, too. If you think only your gonads hurt, you don't understand. Ours do, too. Now, unfortunately, we use that to try and have sex. 
We try and use our gonads herding to try and get laid, so it's okay if you if you have a little skepticism about it. But I just want to say, every single man of a certain age out there has, has, and I mean like, you know, above the age of 15, has like gotten out of a pool or something and like had them all be all sensitive and tight. And then like a cold breeze came by at right the moment and they felt just a, just an icicle dagger of a gnome just stabbing them repeatedly in the ball sack. Ah! It's just so painful and there's nothing you can do when you're in public. Yeah, our gonads hurt too when they contract suddenly, ladies. You know all that stuff those balls do? We don't control that. We don't want that to happen. We don't wait for the temperature to get above 90 degrees Fahrenheit and go like, Finally, I can let my balls flow to the ground. I've been waiting for this all year long. No, we don't have control over that shit. That's the body. And if you didn't know it, when it gets cold suddenly, or we get scared, the testicles go right on in. That's a biological thing. And if you're aroused and then scared, that can hurt. For those of you unaware, the statue David, Michelangelo's David, that big old beefcake, the, the sign of masculinity, his penis is supposed to depict that he's terrified. That's not a joke. You can look it up. Art historians have either had it their way with me, uh, or this is 100% true. He's going up against Goliath. <laughs> He's about to fight an immortal giant who's never lost before. He's fucking terrified, so his balls are tiny. Now, to be clear, uh, there's, a, there's a belief back then, uh, both in, in, in Roman times, uh, which, of course, David doesn't take place in. You know, not a lot of guys named David going around at 500 BCE. Yes, I'm David. This is my wife, Judith, and this is our friend, Carol. Right? But, like, just, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you have to interpret it as, <laughs> you have to interpret it as what's happening, you know, around that period. Well, I didn't read any news stories, Nadira, so I had to come here with something. <laughs> All the news stories this week were awful, so I had to come here with something interesting. And so, uh, they thought that giant fucking genitals back then, biblical times, Roman times, where we get our tradition in, in American English from, uh, they thought large-sized genitals was a sign of barbatism. It was a sign that someone was like a beast, and not at all civilized. So there's multiple reasons why they made David's penis relatively so tiny. Has anyone ever seen it in person? Has anyone ever seen David's statue? Not the penis, just don't just see, don't just say you've seen the penis. You've seen David. Isn't he fucking huge? And then he's got a tiny little dick. That's all I'm trying to relate to the women who have not seen it in person. He's huge and he's got a tiny little scared penis. That's all. That was the creator's intent. And if you're going up against Goliath, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, wow, you've all seen David in person? Fuck you all. Where did you all go? You all went to Italy? How did you all... Does it tour? I didn't know it left Italy. <laughs> Everyone seen David in here? That's upsetting. All right. Have you all seen uh, Van Gogh's Bridge Number 17? Huh? Huh? How about 17 through 19? Y'all seen that one? Well, screw you, I have. They don't exist, but don't pay attention to the fact that Van Gogh doesn't have a bridge series, I've seen them in my mind. 
It's pretty great. If you're ever confused about like how to sound like you know about art history and you're talking about someone who from Europe between 1700 and 1900, just talk about their bridge series. Oh, their bridge period. Yeah, yeah. Oh, their blue period was very good, but their bridge period is what I really enjoyed. Because all them motherfuckers painted at least 25 fucking bridges. They all did. They all just kind of camped up next to someone. And if I were a painter, I would too. Because landscapes take a long time if there's too much scenery. You ever notice that? A lot of people like the people who paint the desert landscapes. Because they can paint 20,000 in a lifetime. There's a cactus. There's a cactus. There's some sand. And fuck you. I'm done. Meanwhile, the person trying to paint up the fucking black forest of Germany. Okay, we're going to need 27 different gradients of gray in order to make the black right. Oh, fuck me. That's right, Ensa! Get painting! Come on! Capture the majesty of those tulip fills. <laughs> Said Georgia O'Keeffe from another dimension in time. <laughs> Art history jokes for three people. Okay. Can you imagine if I actually got my degree in that one, how fucking insane it would be? Because I would just never, never stop dropping it because nobody knows anything about art history, including art historians. They have to keep going back to, like, Rodin and shit. Oh, you know, it's like Rodin. And then you just go into some other fucking sculptor like your Agent Smith in the Matrix. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm not letting you off that easy. I don't think so. I had to stare at a page for three hours, learning the difference between types of columns. You will suffer, too. You will suffer, too. <laughs> what does it matter, the difference between the columns? Nobody can answer that question. Nobody can answer that fucking one. You just need to know the types. It's not like fucking atomic theory. What's the difference between a proton and electron? You can get an answer. Why do you need to know the difference? You can get an answer. What does the difference do? You can get an answer. With the fucking columns? Try it! Try it! <laughs> what happens if you use ionic columns in a new Roman fresco? Uh, I will hate you. Next. Next question! <laughs> do the columns not work? Do they not hold it up? Are they not load-bearing? Oh, all right. That's me done showing off my big brain for the night because there were no good stories this week. Not one. No robot saving a dog that I came across. There was one with a gal, and it was really nice. And she was, like, trying to sell lemonade to save the environment. She's, like, you know, three months old and already can talk in three languages. She's one of those. And, like, it's like, oh, that's a nice story. And then you find out, like, what drove it. And she's like, oh, there's a toxic lake behind her house and it killed her sister. Okay, great. Yay. Fun story. Okay. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's a lot of stories like that. Very depressing stories this week. Two very, very depressing studies this week for Daddy. Oh, my God. One of them said, no amount of alcohol is okay for your health. <sighs> That's a hard one. That's a real hard one. Zero amount of alcohol is good for your health. 
You've heard one glass of wine a day. You've heard two glasses of wine a day. You've heard four glasses of wine, and I'm going to live until 92. But now you have to hear all <laughs> of the studies combined. Now, I want to say before we get into it, uh, this study was a meta-study. It didn't actually follow people drinking or not drinking, because... <laughs> Of course not. I really should have gone into medical science is what COVID has taught me. <laughs> so the study that got published didn't follow uh, anybody smoking or drinking or not drinking. Uh, instead, it just followed 20 other studies and came to its own conclusions. So there you go. But no amount of drinking is good for your health. So that one was a little rough. And then the second one was... Uh, marijuana smokers are, in fact, developing emphysema. They're not calling it that, but that's what they're developing. A uh, big study coming out by people who smoked uh, marijuana lifelong are, in fact, reducing their lung capacity by about the same amount as nicotine smokers in cigarettes. Now, to be clear, that is combusting marijuana. That is having THC through a fired source, not vaping or anything else. But it is in there. This is <clears throat> incredibly frustrating. Um, incredibly frustrating uh, information to hear as someone who hasn't been smoking that long and is not afraid. I know you just heard me clear my throat. That's the cold. That's the tickle that the, the negative temperature is bringing in, not smoke. I haven't had any smoke today. Uh, that's, that's kind of a bummer to read. But, you know, just keep in mind, you don't develop emphysema overnight. So if you've been smoking too much and your lung capacity is going down, stop smoking weed and start eating it. Uh, yeah, so those are like two major studies that came out uh, this week. That's, again, no fun. There's no fun. That's why I tried to get out, like, with the opening monologue of coming in and just uh, trying to knock that out for you. Just looking over all of my notes does anybody remember the season four from a CW villain named Michael Avenatti? Does anybody, does that like, does that name even remotely ring a bell or has the trauma of the, of the Trump years fully washed over everybody else? And so now they no longer remember. There was a lawyer. He was bald. He drove race cars, and for about six weeks in 2017, 2018, the media couldn't stop talking about him because he was suing Trump on behalf of a porn star. Is that slowly starting to connect in? Yeah. Daddy knows from his upbringing when he sees a total self-serving piece of shit. I wouldn't say that I know a lot of people or a lot of facets at all, but when I see somebody who's being totally insincere in a self-serving way, I know, because I had two parents like that who never turned it off. <laughs> in public, in private, anything. And so when I see somebody like that just totally self-serving and they answer questions in a certain way, I know they're a piece of shit. And thus far, that feeling has never been proven wrong. I don't have it often, but...
but it's never once been proven wrong. It's like the Highlander movie franchise. I can feel them from a distance. I can feel the void of manipulation, and I can just sense it immediately, and I can turn my attention to it without fear or distortion. And my God, I just knew that this guy was the worst. And the only reason people couldn't see it is because he was against Trump, who was the worst. And therefore, that kind of blinds people. There was a series of people who were men, let's face it, who were trouted out in the Trump era, who were just like, he's our hero, we love him. And it's like, you love this idiot? Only one of them gave me the Highlander feelings, but there was a series of them. We love James Comey! You love James Comey? Yeah! Why? I hate Trump! Okay, but James Comey, the man who's six foot six, has a giant fucking head, and still somehow manages to cram it all the way up his own asshole at every opportunity. You love him. Him. He's your favorite. That marvel of science. That circus freak. Yeah! Okay. And Avenatti was just one of them. He was just like, there were all these media profiles, and oh, he's so sexy, he's going to take down Trump. Ooh, so salacious, the porn stars. Ooh, paying a porn star for money. Again, real quick side, of all the things that Trump did, paying, paying a, a, an established adult star who was like a known woman for sexual intercourse, it didn't really resonate the same way with me as it did everyone else. I'm just going to say... Uh, that was like, oh, that's, that's salacious, and that's the most horrible stuff he's done, huh? Okay, all right, you Puritan fucking... Anyway, so Avenatti, uh, took on Stormy Daniels, that's the name of this particular, there were several different women in, uh, various adult, uh, industries or adult-related industries that suit him. This particular one was Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels just got her lawsuit. She sued him in 2018, I want to say, or at least 2019. She just got her lawsuit against the guy successful. He's gone to prison since then. He's had to give up his law license. He's been disbarred. And he was just successfully sued for $300,000 by Stormy Daniels because she just he just stole the money. He literally just took the money from the retainer from her and used it to pay off existing debt. He already had something like $11 million debt before he took her on as a client. And he was just using the money for sushi and new shoes and race car fuel. Literally, I know that sounds like a joke, but race cars have their own fuel. And he was using it for that. And mostly to try and use it to get on TV where he could get new sacks of money. So he was just like kind of like a Ponzi scheme of one. And I have to say, that was deeply satisfying. Yeah, a lawyer can do that and get away with that for 10 fucking years. And in case you think, oh, he's a lawyer, that's how he got away with it, I would just like to remind you, Allison Mack in the Nexium cult ran three different felonious international criminal conspiracies for a decade and got three years. So just keep in mind, <laughs> you don't actually have to be a lawyer all that smart to, like, commit a shit ton of crime and just be totally guilty of it and have everybody go like, well, I mean, at least you weren't a black person trying to vote in Texas. Okay, let's start the show. Here we go. All right. But, hey, if it, when it gets cold... My dander goes up. The balls go in. The testosterone increases. That's how it works. Lots of sweet poems tonight. Lots of lovely, lovely sweet poems tonight. 
before we get to the dirty, dirty, dirty smut. Here we go. <clears throat> Things take the time they take. Don't worry. How many roads did St. Augustine, Augustine follow before he became St. Augustine? Don't worry, Mary Oliver. The answer is also three. They used to call him old Triped. Triped Augustine. That's what they called him back then. <clears throat> it feels good to love an angel. It feels better to fuck an angel with her wings pinned back like a recently archived butterfly. <sighs> We're going to have to start banning this guy. Bo Burham feels. Bo Burham, overrated. <clears throat> in the hollow tree, in the old gray tower, the spectral owl doth dwell. Dull, hated, despised in the sunshine hour. But at dusk he's abroad and well, not a bird of the forest ever mates with him. All mock him outright by day. But at night, when the woods grow still and dim, the boldest will shrink away. Oh, when the night falls and the roosts of the fowl, then, then is the reign of the horned owl. And the owl hath a bride who is fond and bold and loveth the wood's deep gloom. And with eyes like a shine of the moon-eyed cold, she awaiteth her ghastly groom. Not the feather she moves, not a carol she sings as she waits in her tree so still, but she, when her heart heareth the flapping wings, she hoots out her welcome shrill. Oh, when the moon shines and dogs do howl, then then is the joy of the horned owl. Mourn not for the owl nor his gloomy plight, the owl hath his share of good. If a prisoner he be in broad daylight, he is lord in the dark green wood. Nor lonely the bird, nor his ghastly mate, they are each unto each a pride. Thrice founder, perhaps, since a strange dark fate hath rent them from all beside. So when the night falls and the dogs do howl, sing ho for the realm of the horned owl. We know not all way who are kings by day, but the king by night is the bold brown owl. The Owl by Brian Waller Proctor <clears throat> It's a rainy morning. The earth breathes cold on its citizens. I reach for a blanket of flesh that is unavailable. The room is filled with pieces of you, strands of hair, vestiges of scent, mirage of smile, and ghost of your voice. There is a depression on your side of the bed. But these walls struggle to reconstruct memories. The mere claims not to recall your body dancing to my song of fire. The window denies ever clapping hands over ears to shut your screams off. This bed surely can't forget the love we shared, the lust we bared, consequences we dared. It is a rainy morning. I long for your warmth, but in your absence, 
I will sit in this teacup and call Cold's bluff. Cold Room by Jide Badmus, B-A-D-M-U-S. Interesting poems today's. Thank you, ladies. Everybody who requested them know that this show couldn't happen without you. This was gruesome. Fighting over a ham sandwich with one tiny cat of Rome, he leaped on my arm and half hung on the food, half hung on my shirt and coat. I tore it apart and let him have his portion. I think I lifted him down, sandwich and all, on the sidewalk and sat with my own sandwich besides him. Maybe I petted his bony head and felt him shiver. I have told the story over and over. Some things root in my mind. His boldness, of course, was frightening and unexpected. His stubbornness through hunger drove him mad. It was the breaking of boundaries, the sudden invasion, but not only that, it was the sharing of food and the sharing of space. He didn't run into an alley or into a cellar. He sat beside me, eating, and I didn't run into a territoria, say, shaking, with food on my lips and blood on my cheeks, sobbing. But not only that, I'd gone there to eat and to wait for someone. I had maybe an hour before she would come, and I was full of hope and excitement. I have resisted for years interpreting this, but now, I think, I was given a clue. Or I was giving myself a clue. Across the street from the glass sandwich shop. My last night with her. That was my last night with her. The next day, I would go and leave on the train for Paris, and she would meet her husband. Thirty-five years ago, I ate my sandwich and moaned in her arms. We were dying together. We would never meet again, although she was pregnant when I left her. I have a daughter, or son, somewhere. Darling grandchildren in Norwich, Connecticut, or Canton, Ohio. Every five years, I think about her again and plan on looking her up. The last time I was sitting in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and heard her husband was teaching in Princeton and if she was still married, was still alive, and tried calling. I went that far. We lived in Florence and Rome. We rode in the Bay of Naples and floated naked on the boards. I started to think of her again today. I am still horrified by the cat's hunger. I am still puzzled by that connection. This is another insane devotion. There must be hundreds, although it isn't just that. There is no pain and the thought is fleeting and sweet. I think it's my own dumb boyhood, walking around with Slavic cheeks and burning stupid eyes. I think I gave the cat half of my sandwich to buy my life. I think I broke it in half as a decent sacrifice. It was this I bought, the red cloyus, the split rocking chair, the silk lampshade. Happiness. I watched him. With pleasure, I bought memory. I could have lost it. How crazy it sounds, his face twisted with cunning, the wind blowing through his hair, his jaw working. Another Insane Devotion by Gerald Stern 
<clears throat> Goodness. Silly Smut and Serious Poems. Bring me your pain, love. Spread it out like fine rugs, silk sashes, warm eggs, cinnamon and cloves and burlap sacks. Show me the detail, the intricate embroidery on the collar, tiny shell buttons, the hems stitched the way you were taught picking up a thread, almost invisible. Unclasp it like jewels, the gold still hot from your body. Empty your basket of figs, spill your wine. The hard nugget of pain, I would suck it, cradling it on my tongue like the slick seed of pomegranate. I would lift it tenderly as a great animal might carry a small one in the private cave of the mouth. Once again, Basket of Figs by Ellen Bass. There is a word we use to plug holes with. It's the right size for those warm blanks in speech, for those red-hearted shaped vacancies on the page that look nothing like real hearts. And lace, and you can sell it. We insert it also in the one empty space of the printed form that comes along with no instructions. There are whole magazines with not much in them but the word love. You can rub it all over your body and you can cook with it too. How do we know it isn't what goes on to the cold debaucheries of the slugs under damp pieces of cardboard and for the weed seedlings noising through their tough snouts up among the lettuce they shout it. Love, love, sings the soldiers, raising their glistening knives in salute. Then there's two of us. This word is far too short for us. It has only four letters, too sparse to fill those deep, bare vacuums between the stars that press on us with their deafness. It's not love we don't wish to fall into, but that fear. This word is not enough, but will have to do. It's a single vowel in this metallic silence, a mouth that says oh again and again in wonder and pain, a breath, a finger, a grip on the cliffside. You can hold on or let go. Variations on the Word Love by Margaret Atwood One of the reasons I love you here is one, the way that you write for me from the gate at the airport so I can tell you everything will be all right. So you can tell me there is a bird trapped in the terminal, all the people are ignoring it, because they do not know what to do with it, except to leave it alone until it scares itself to death. It makes you terribly, terribly sad. You wish you could take the bird outside and set it free, or, failing that, call a bird understander to help the bird. All you can do is notice the bird and feel for the bird and write and tell how language feels and possibly useless, but you are wrong. You are a bird understanderer, better than I could ever be, who make so many noises and call them song. 
These are your own words, your way of noticing and saying plainly, of not turning away from hurt. You have offered them to me. I am only giving them back. If only I could show you how very useless they are not. Bird Understander by Craig Arnold I swear we've done that one before. <clears throat> Rain will fall again on your smooth pavement. A light rain like a breath or a step, the breeze at the dawn will flourish again when you return, as if your breath of your step between flowers and sills the cats will know. There will be other days, there will be other voices, you will smile alone. The cats will know. You will hear words old and spent and useless like costumes left over from yesterday's parties. You will make gestures, your answers with words, face of springtime. You will make gestures. The cats will know. Faces of springtime, and in the light rain, the hyacinth dawn in the wrench of the heart of him, who hopes no more for you, they are the sad smile you smile by yourself. There will be other days, other voices, and renewals. Faces of springtime, we will suffer at daybreak. The Cats Will Know, Cesar Pavese, P-A-V-S-E, sorry, P-A-V-E-S-E, Pavese, so I'm going to go with <clears throat> The water is one thing, and one thing for miles. The water is one thing, making this bridge built over the water another. Walk it early. Walk it back when the day goes dim. Everyone rising just to find a way towards rest again. We work. Start on one side of the day, like a planet's only sun. Our eyes straight until the flame sinks. The flame sinks. Thank God I'm different. I figured and counted. I'm not crossing to cross back. I'm set on something vast. It reaches long as the sea. I'm more than a conqueror, bigger than bravery. I don't march. I'm the one who leaps. Crossing by Jericho Brown God, if that's not a stage name, if that's not a... If, if that's not a pin name, then what a fucking amazing actual name to give a kid and have him turn out to be an author. Jericho Brown, you get in here right now. Oh, wow. Just sounds fake. <clears throat> At night, she'd turn into Beast Woman. Sorry, one more time. <clears throat> At night, she'd turn into a Beast Woman. 
leaping across the rooftops, walking hidden in the shadows, her four legs and little pretty girl face, her tail and round breast moving side to side, a black shape wandering the cornfields, devouring delicious little animals, wooing the stars with her vacant gaze. The beast woman gets home tired, remembering nothing of the next day. She'd wake up with her messy hair and wounded feet and dirty nails and body in heat. One night, she went searching for the moonlight. She went down a ravine to find her destiny and howl out her sorrows with the coyotes. She realized this life and death made sense and never again returned to her good girl bed. At night, she'd turn into a beast woman by Rosa Chavez. It's a translation from Spanish, and it's a hell of a one. I wonder how much better it sounds in Spanish. I bet pretty fucking kicking. (laughs) What song would you render on the eve of another storm? In a prayer house... Bats perched on the speaker besides the pulpit. I believed they could hear us, and like the old days, we speak in tongues like our ancestors, but we don't know what God made of it. This was one of the earliest miracles. I knew they were without food, and they left at almost the same time, just after a Maghrib prayer three days earlier. I still don't know what bats eat. Flame of the lantern dances in its glass. After the prayer, we whispered into our palms. I was silent, but my eyes were stuck on the bats. I was relieved when they flew out of the window, back under the sky, where every miracle belongs. Bats by Hussein Ahmed. And we've got one last poem. So here's hoping you've been enjoying the selection. The ladies brought them all out, and they did suggest everything. I am just pulling them up one by one in cold reading. Hope you're enjoying. Come on out to a live show sometime, won't you? 10 Eastern on Fridays. We have new girls, and I love to see them there each and every time. Okay, here we go. It seems like all of my poems after this will be different. They will not hold a different weight like how the weight of my heart has shifted into indistinguishable float, like lifting cloud, into weightless flight tonight as the rain gently falls on the summer-heated tin roof and the din of casual raindrops and warm low lights glowing and wind blowing through the house. We have all our doors and windows open. We have all our doors and windows open, and I'm pouring spices into glass jars. Coriander, cinnamon, cumin, ground sage. It's hard to describe this moment in the confines of a page. Tiny hills of vibrant color and intoxicating fragrance, and you hear the cadence of my heart from the kitchen where you build the perfect flitting slip-in shelves for our spices over the stove. Match the colors. Match the colors to yours. I have all my doors and all windows open to you. 
I have all my doors and windows open to you, and you have come all the way inside, sat down at the table of my deepest desires, and lit a fire to warm us both. The wind blowing through the house, the rain gently giving way to Tameric sunrise. To you, darling, you are my wife. You are my wife. And it's like I have been waiting my whole life to say those words, and I feel held in a way I have never felt before, to look down at my fingers, dusted with ginger and thyme, and to see the gold of my wedding band glint in the shine of the warm low light. I am yours. You are mine. Promised on Zoom in our garden, of giant zinnia and hummingbird vines, sung out in the morning song of bluebirds, this union that ripples love out to the world and infinites back into us again, my love. In the fine powder of these spices, ground-up essence of oregano and basil, I see our love in every atom suddenly, in every cell, and in me, finally, exhales. And perhaps that is the wind. Perhaps that is the wind. Blowing through the house, this releases of our eternal searching and finding you there, calling me on you forever, naming me your always to have and to hold, till death do us part and start all over again, looking only for each other's hearts, taking my life in your hands, eternal, marrying me to the heavens, latching me to the star trail of your white dress, in the orbital dance, this lift and spin, this knowing from within, that all my poems after this will be different, because you on my wife. Filling Spice Jars as Your Wife by Kai Kogan You just knew that had to be written by a woman for a woman. There's too much cooking and there's too much talking about how doing something for the household is a thing of love. See, it was too sweet. I had to ruin it a little bit. You knew it had to be written by a woman, even though you suspected deep down. You wanted to be written by a man. I know you did. I know you did. Nope. You knew deep down. Too much gardening. Too much being happy. Too much being vulnerable. Strength. Uh-uh. Had to be a woman. All right. Here's hoping you enjoyed the poetry tonight. We've got a couple of love letters, and then we're into the silly smut. <clears throat> Can you tell when it's cold that I'm ready to get the fuck out of here? Don't get me wrong. I want to entertain you. I want everyone to have a good night. Can you tell? Can you tell I'm just a little bit more focused, even in the rambling and the personal stories and everything? Just a little bit. It's almost like there's this tiny, tiny, jagged ice dagger being slowly knife-jagged up my asshole. You know, it's not, it's not all at once. It's not super painful. It's just, it's just, you know, every couple of, oh, 15, 20 minutes, you can just feel get a little bit deeper and you're like, I'd like to stop that, please. <laughs> I'm not meant to be this cold. I do fine in, 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 in Celsius temperatures of 40 plus. 
40 to 45 plus, I'm a dynamo. I will sit across from you in a room with no AC or anything else, and I will just straight up like fucking Colonel Clink's your ass out of existence. I will just stare you down as I watch the heat dissolve your thoughts. 100%. Oh, man. I don't even think about it twice. It doesn't even scare me. One of my favorite uh, Discworld moments of all time, Sam Vimes. In the Discworld universe, trolls aren't stupid. They just need to be cold in order to think physiologically. Their brains literally need a physical heat sink. That's why they're always beneath bridges, is because the cool water, uh, if they're submerged in it, they can think really well. In the Discworld universe, their brains, they overheat real quick. So in one scene, there's a troll mob boss, and one of the top cops is going to go against him in a head-on-head, and the, and the encounter for the troll boss is in an ice house. So the troll can think as quick as he possibly fucking can against this cop so that he can come up with the best thing. And after the end of this, you know, the cop's like, ah, you goddamn asshole, that's actually pretty brilliant. He thinks, next time, we're meeting in a sauna. I think that every fucking time I, somebody outthinks me, it's like, okay, asshole, <laughs> you set everything up, you win this time. Next time, we're playing it on my territory. Let's see how it fucking goes. All right, we've got four love letters. Let's get right on into them. <clears throat> I cannot get this beautiful afternoon out of my head. Above me, where I lay, the grass was silhouetted against the blue of the heavens. Small clouds were rushing past. The wind drove them on an endless journey. Then, close to me, was the most lovely of all. Your soft hair against my cheek. Your kisses so cool and unearthly. And my happiness was so great. Love Letter from Julia Lee Booker to Lieutenant Pat McSweeney. I don't know anything about either of those names off the top of my head. If I do recognize them, I don't recognize that I recognize them. Okay. <clears throat> Madame! I lay down last night with your image in my thoughts and have awoke this morning in the same contemplation. The pleasing transport in which I'm delighted as a sweetness, in it attended with a train of ten thousand soft desires, anxieties, and cares. The day arises on my hopes with new brightness. Youth, beauty, and innocence are in the charming objects that steal me from myself and give me joys above my reach of ambition, pride, or glory. Believe me, fair one, to throw myself at your feet is giving myself the highest bliss I know of earth. Oh, hasten, ye minutes. Bring on the happy morning wherein it be ever her will to look down on thrones. Dear Molly, I am tenderly, passionately, faithfully thine. Love Letter from Sir Richard Steele to Mary Sherlock. Ooh, I love that he called her Molly then, because he's so formal and official. So he had a little pet name for her. Come on, Molly. Don't be pouty, Molly. My name's Mary. Oh, shit. Well, ink's expensive, so I'm not rewriting this. 
I don't know anything dreadful enough to liken to you. You are like a sweet forest of pleasant glades and whispering branches, where people wander on and on in its playing shadows they know not how far, and when they come to the center of it, it is all cold and impenetrable. And when they would, <laughs> and when they would fain turn low, they are hedged with briars and thorns, and cannot escape. You are like the bright, soft, swelling, lovely fields of a high glacier, covered with fresh morning snow, which is heavenly to the eye and soft to the winning of the foot, but beneath there are winding clefts and dark places in the cold, cold ice, where men fall and do not rise again. All right, I don't know who wrote this one. I'm going to go with Marlon Brando to a barista. Uh, I don't... <laughs> I still think whoever gave us Marlon Brando to the stewardess, to the flight attendant, that was something special. That really was. All right, let's look it up who it actually is. A long time ago, a million years ago, 15 years ago, 16 years ago... I was on the radio, and I played a game as a as a DJ with the people getting home from work. And this was in the height of Charlie Sheen being insane. For whatever reason, that was a news story. Remember when we had the time to talk about Charlie Sheen being insane? We had that free time in the news? Oh, good times. Good times. Could just Celebrity would lose it. We could talk about him for two, three weeks at a time because, you know, so little fucking going on. Ah, wasteful. Anyways... Charlie Sheen had been losing his fucking mind. And Charles Manson, at the same time, was coming up for parole. Uh, so there were two crazy Charlies in the news. And uh, we played a game over the radio called Chuck or Chuck, where they would give me a quote to read. And I would just read it in the boring DJ baritone that it would, you know, kind of putting out right now. I would just read it like that. And then the caller in had to guess... Was it Charlie Sheen or was it Charles Manson? And let me assure you, they did not do much better than if they had just flipped a fucking coin. If you just read a statement from either of these men in with no context or clue, people are like, ah, ah, ah. Like, it's really hard. Like, you, you would think like, oh, that's very clearly Charles Manson because you'll get a quote like, it's all in the blood. With the blood, I gain the magic. The magic gives me the power, and the power's who I am. People are like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck! Who said that? <laughs> people, people were not playing for anything. There was no prize, right? It was just a game. It was just a call-in game to pass the time for people's commute home. Just to be clear, there was no prize and people had little mini breakdowns because they could. They were like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I'm not an idiot. I just don't know who it's for. <laughs> I made that joke. Kelly made a joke that Kanye sounds like Kanye West. I actually made that joke. I was really, really mad when Kanye said that he had dragon blood. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. You do not represent all of us who have dragon blood in our system. Some of us use that power for good, okay? You do not represent everybody who has dragon blood in their fucking system. Easy. All right? 
Don't fucking put that on us. It's just like albinos. It's only the evil ones who ever get in the movies. The two twins from the Matrix movies, Kevin Spacey, it's just a theme. One of my favorite movie reviews of all time is for a movie called Moon with Sam Rockwell and Kevin Spacey. Uh, the review is simply, Kevin Spacey plays a... S- <laughs> oh, God damn it! Son of a bitch. See? I already ruined it because it's over a decade old, that fucking movie. All right, one more time. The review for Moon that I love so much that gives nothing away. <laughs> Because it's a movie where you're not supposed to know anything going into it. Kevin Spacey is an authoritarian, creepy robot. He also plays one in 2009's Moon. (laughs) It's right up there with Pokemon Forever. It's just one of the best movie fucking reviews ever read. Oh, yeah. Oh, very good. <laughs> watch Moon if you've never seen it and you just want to watch a guy play with himself for an hour because I know a lot of you are into that. Okay. <clears throat> oh, I was about to read that one again. I don't know who any of these people are. I have a thousand images of you in an hour, all different and all coming back to the same. And we. Love. And we've got the most amazing secrets and understanding. Noel, whom I love, whom is so beautiful and wonderful, I think of you eating omelet on the ground. I didn't mess that line up. I'm just going to read it again, because it sounded like I messed it up, but I'm reading it verbatim. I think of you eating omelet on the ground. I think of you once against the skyline, and on a hill that Sunday morning. And that night was wonderfulest of all. The light and the shadow and the quietness and the rain and the wood. And you, and you are so beautiful and wonderful that I daren't write to you and kinder than God. Your arms and lips and hair and shoulders and voice. You. Love letter from Rupert Brooke to Noel Oliver. Good fish recipe. A little bit of oil, a lot of bit of heat, 10 minutes, flip them. Last love letter for tonight for all you sappy, sappy girls. My darling. Do not imagine because you find these lines in your journal that I have been trespassing. You know I have not, and where else shall I leave a love letter? For I long to write you a love letter tonight. You are all about me. I seem to breathe you, hear you, feel you in me, and of me. What am I doing here? You are away. I have seen you in the train at the station, driving up, sitting in the lamplight, talking, greeting people, washing your hands, and I am here, in your tent, sitting at your table. There are some wallflower petals on the table, and a dead match, a blue pencil, and a mad... Hmm. 
a Magde, ooh, a Madebergnish, oof, a Magde Bergish Zetoing. I'm going to spell that out for you so you can see why I was struggling with that. M-A-G-D-E-B-U-R-G-I-S-H-E-Z-E-I-T-U-N-G. So, Zeit is ghost or spirit. Zeitung. I don't know what the first thing is. I'm assuming it's a last name. Madaburgerschen Zeitung. So I'm assuming a Zeitung is a Zeit, is a spirit, is a ghost. But I don't speak German. I am just as much at home as they. When dust came flowing up the silent garden, lapping against the blind windows, my first and last terror started up. I was making some coffee in the kitchen. It was so violent, so dreadful. I put down the coffee pot and simply ran away, ran, ran out of the studio and up the street with my bag under one arm and a block of writing paper and a pin under the other. I felt as if I could get here and find Mrs. F. I could be safe. I found her and lighted up your gas, wound up your clock, drew your curtains and embraced your black overcoat before I sat down, frightened no longer. Do not be angry with me, Bogey. It was stronger than me. That is why I'm here. When you came to tea this afternoon, you took a brioche, broke it in half, and patted the inside doughy bit with two fingers. You always do that with a bunner roll or a piece of bread. It is your way. Your head a little on one side the while. When you opened your suitcase, I saw your old felt-eye and a French book and a calm all highly piggedly. Tig, I've only got three handkerchiefs. Why should that memory be so sweet to me? Last night... There was a moment before you got into bed. You stood quite naked, bending forward and little and talking. It was only for an instant. I saw you. I loved you so. Loved your body with such tenderness. Ah, my dear. And I am not thinking of passion. No, of that other thing that makes me feel every inch of you is precious to me. Your soft shoulders your warm skin, your ears cold like shells are cold, your long legs and feet that I love to clasp with my feet, the feeling of your belly, the thin of your back, just below that bone that sticks out at the back of your neck, and that little mole. It is partly because we are young that I feel this tenderness. I love your mouth. I could not bear that it should never be touched even by a cold wind if I the Lord. We too, you know, have everything before us, and we shall do very great things. I have perfect faith in us, and so perfect is my love for you that I am, as it were, still silent to my very soul. I want nobody but you for my lover and my friend, and to nobody by you shall I be faithful. I am forever yours. Tig. Love letter from Catherine Mansfield to John Middleton Murray. Goodness. 
When she says she likes to pat your belly and it makes her hot, that means she really like you. All right, guys, that is the last uh, of the love letters for tonight. Been going a pretty good hour. So we'll see how many of these we get through. We've got some pretty cute-looking smut, but you never really know how long it's going to take me to get through these. So just let me just look. Okay, I'm going to start with the shortest first. Thank you very much. Tip them if you've got them, if you're happy that we're back and all that good stuff. Smoke them if you can. Don't even worry about it if you can't. Thank you very much for everybody who came out. Everybody who suggested something, everybody who comes out to a live show, you do make the experience all the more worthwhile for me. And yes, the evil gnome of ice that's slowly spelunking up my anus. 100%. Okay. <clears throat> I lie naked next to you. That's a strong start. For a bad smut story, that is a strong opening sentence. We have context. We're already at the sex. We're already way ahead of the pack. Let's see where it goes wrong. The first rays of the morning sun are beginning to creep round the window frame, filling the room with an illusory sense of warmth and light. Again, little flowery, not bad. I feel the secure comfort of the rope that binds my wrist from the previous night, a beautiful reminiscence of the bonds between us, and right into Code Red. Silent and still, I watch the rhythmic rise and fall of your chest as you sleep, feeling your breath ripple over my naked flesh. I relish these precious stolen moments when you are mine to behold in secret, when I need nothing more. Then to feel you close to me. Author's note, he will be doing something more. I long to rouse you softly and gently, to seduce you with every inch of my body, adore you in every way I demand to be adored. I instinctively know the shy, playful kisses that will tease your senses, the smoldering touch that will drive you wild with desire, the powerful pleading look of submission in my eyes that will excite your imagination and affirm your control, yet these are gifts that are mine to give only with your permission. Dare I indulge in this forbidden pleasure? Cautiously, I reach out and run my bond, my bound hands through your hair, placing a soft kiss on your lips. You begin to stir and open sleepy eyes and look at me, naughty. You whisper sternly before returning my kiss, I instantly avert my eyes, looking downward. Look at me. The firm hand under my chin drives my head to your gaze, and I lovingly look upon you with meek, apologetic eyes. Gripping the back of my neck, you coil your fist in my thick curls, pulling me upward to my knees as you circle me, dragging me deeper under your commanding spell. Just going to tell you, nice ladies at home, I wake up pretty good. I can jump out of bed without a groan. If you expect me to wake up and dom your fucking ass to the point where I, like, stand up and walk around you in the bed, get a fucking zookeeper, all right? You're looking for that level of animal control, get in a relationship with a fucking zookeeper. They have fucking training on that shit. Lady, I will dominate you in the morning, but I need you to answer a real quick question before I open my eyes, okay? Lady, 
I need you to answer a real quick question before I open my fucking eyes, given that we both know that you're tied down like I'm moving across country in a hatchback, okay? I need you to answer just one question. It's a numerical one. How many scenes in the story of O plus the entire Fifty Shades franchise take place in the fucking daylight? Just numerically. Just give me your number. Just give me your fucking number. Okay? (laughs) I see a satisfying smile creep over your face as you slide your hands over me with the warm contours of flesh. Rope marks on my back and rounded breasts before gently massaging my shoulders. My pulse is racing as you pause, slipping a hand over my eyes to close them while at the same time reaching for a flogger that still lies next to me. Excuse me, the flogger must have excited me. (laughs) Seconds later, I feel the delicious, swift, light strokes of the flogger hit my shoulders and back. Oh! Oh! Oh, no! Let's read that sentence again. That is a deceptively horrible sentence. Seconds later, I feel the delicious, swift, uh uh-uh, light strokes, uh uh-uh, of the flogger, uh, hit my shoulders, uh, and back. Ah! Ah! Where in the back? Where in the back? The kidneys live there. Don't hit somebody with a flogger where the kidneys live. I know that they're a quiet older couple that mostly keep to themselves. Don't hit the kidney home. Uh Uh-uh, they don't like it. Quick, light, then unexpectedly hard and stingy. You delight in my change in posture, the size of pleasure and pain, as you skillfully faint from faint, switch from faint to harsh blows. In between wrenching my back of my hair, devout, with a fiery, hot-blooded kisses. Oof. Just real quick again, if I'm beating you, I'm not kissing you. Doesn't matter if I'm holding something or just whipping your ass. If I'm whipping your ass, I am not kissing you. <laughs> not at the same time. Before and after, sure. Not during. What kind of weird goddamn chimpanzee BDSM is that? My breath quickens and I feel your hardness against me and I begin to slip into the blissful, dreamy state of self-consciousness. You drop the flogger and move round to stand before me, letting your hands run wild through my hair. After gently forcing my head back, you let out a loud moan as you push your cock deep into my warm, supple mouth. I begin to caress you with my lips. Mm, no, you don't. Not if he's shoving his cock in your mouth. You're not caressing shit. Sliding them up and down your shaft, teasing them with my tip and my tongue, you gently guide me with your hands, gripping my hair as you begin to reach your climax. Well, that's a damn good blowjob. I shudder with ecstasy in pleasuring you this way and satisfying you while under your control. Just as you are about to reach the point of no return, you pull out... Turn over, you order, a sense of urgency in your voice. On your knees, at your shoulders. The words can hardly escape my lips before I have complied with the order. Woo. That sounds like I got the wrong pronoun, but I did not. She says the words can hardly escape my lips. Perfect. 
you declare as you enter me from behind. I gasp as you manipulate my movements, thinking I might explode right there and then. You have total control now, rolling in and out of me, smaller movements giving way to bigger, wider movements. Just at this point, I am so, so close, and I can't take much more. You stop abruptly. You want to come so badly, but you, you are in control. You make me beg. May I? Please, sir? The shy acquiescence in my voice is enough to push you over the edge and your whole body convulses as you repeatedly come inside me in thick, misty waves, each one causing your entire body to shake with pleasure. You pull me back by my hair to show me I have your permission. I begin to quiver, biting my lip and clenching myself around you. My moans grow louder and faster, and I erupt in a lingering, earth-shattering orgasm before collapsing exhausted onto bed. You softly kiss my neck and gently untie my bound hands. I turn my face to you and look deep into your eyes as you hold me in your arms. My eyes begin to well up and tears begin to run down my cheeks. Thank you, I whisper with every inch of me. Don't, don't whisper with your whole body. It's scary. Most women I know, most women I know try not to queef after sex. In fact, I'm going to be real honest with you. I thought that's what they were running into the bathroom to do until I learned about the whole peeing thing at like age 22, age 23. I thought, eh, for sure, they just got to fart out of one hole. Fart or burp. After everything I just did, it's like stuffing air into an accordion. It's got to go somewhere. I'm very romantic. <laughs> oh, I fucking, I fucking wish this was Fifty Shades for people who have not read Fifty Fucking Shades. I don't remember Christian ever fucking her up like that. Like, come here, come here, little college student. In the kidney! Kidney shot! Kidney shot! That's how I like it. I remember listening to a feminist thing about porn this is a long time ago this is my red pill period back when i'm reading about the red pill and like hating the manosphere and shit and i remember once there was a woman who just who made a quick comment that just about made me double the fuck over this was in the period where every this is right before step siblings take off in in mainstream porn this is right before they figure out how do we get 50 year old men and 18 year old women on screen again Without everybody coming for our heads. Oh, I got it. Step, steps. Yeah, okay. All right. This is right before porn has that invention. Okay? Just right before it. And so every single mainstream porn video, no matter what the setup or what's going on, if it's male, female, it ends with the woman getting down on her knees in front of the guy and him shooting his cum on her face. Every single fucking video, they even call it the money shot at this period. For about five years there, maybe ten years in mainstream porn, every single porn ends with the quote-unquote money shot of the guy coming on the woman's face. And the woman going, ah! Ah! And I was reading this, I was, you know, I was taking place in this, uh, reading this feminist uh, 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 seminar uh, on porn, and it was women who were you know, making porn that was more for women. Little did I know I was doing homework at the time for Future Jack. And one of the women just casually said, like, you know, we have to educate but also ignore the men out there because 
as far as I can tell, the average American man thinks that the average woman's orgasm receptors are skin cells waiting for his ejaculation on her face. And I think about that all the fucking time. I think about like how stupid the fantasy was and how strange it was that we liked it and how I jerked off to it plenty of times all the time. As soon as she said that, it's like, oh, fuck. I, yeah, that really – like I never thought for a second that coming on a woman's face made her happy, but it never once occurred to me to be like, why are they simulating an orgasm while we come on their fucking faces? That's weird. Never once, never even occurred to me. It's like you need to listen to women every once in a while. And then I don't anyway. All right. Here we go. We got at least one more sexy story. Let's see how long it takes us to get through this one. We are already starting off on a note that dyslexic me just hates. First word. Here we go. Alice, spade, spelled... A-L-Y-C-E. Alice smiled brightly as she entered the empty classroom and took a seat on top of my desk. Getting into it with the first sentences today, kids. <laughs> no no bad porn that's like, so I met a single mom and I took her out and 27 minutes later I come inside her one night. None of that shit tonight. Uh-uh. <clears throat> she brushes a loose strand of her honey wheat hair from her... F- They're always blondes. And stared at me with bright sapphire eyes that seemed to swallow me whole. You couldn't think of another another way to say that in a porn. She reached forward with a well-manicured hand, touched my cheek gently, and then pulled me closer. Where are all these college girls getting these manicures? And are they getting all these manicures on the way to and from Chick-fil-A? Out of curiosity? <laughs> I'm just going to say, I've met some college girls over the last 20 years. That's not tracking. She leaned inward, allowing me an excellent view of her ample cleavage, and whispered, Professor Wright, are you really going to punish me for missing your class today? She better be his wife. This better, she better be his wife or girlfriend. (laughs) She better fucking be his wife or girlfriend. I backed away from her hand and studied her briefly. One more time. This is, this is, sorry for all the women hearing this. This is for the live show gals. (laughs) One more time. (laughs) I backed away from her hand Uh -uh. and studied her briefly. She was beautifully breathtaking young woman in her mid-twenties and had only attended three of my classes this semester. However, every time she missed my class, she would visit me like she had now and would seduce me into marking her as present for my class or marking that she had attended a makeup class. 
I never really minded her game since she was beyond anything I could have ever hoped to attain for myself. There's nothing women like more in porn than a man saying it's a power fantasy. There's nothing women like more about a power fantasy in porn than a man saying, I am not attractive. But because I'm a man in this situation, look at what happened to me. Uh-uh. That gets the women wet. Wet. She stood around six foot tall, three inches shorter than myself, and was rather thin for her height, but not unhealthily so. She carried a size 38-seat chest, which was plenty for me, and had a decent waistline. She normally wore simple attire, but wore it in such a manner I couldn't help but notice the curvature of her body. <laughs> yeah, simple clothing doesn't have a lot of uh, Hunger Games-like layers going on, it's true. Her honey wheat hair and sapphire eyes, I'm once again commenting on, only served to enhance her appearance and help to keep me enthralled. Mr. White, are you listening to me? She purred and brought her body closer. One more time, now that we know the direction. She purred as she brought her body closer. I asked if you were going to really punish me today. I smiled her as I stood up again and circled my desk. Alice, you know that I will. Haven't I punished you every previously time you've missed my class? Yes, you have. But today it just seemed like you wouldn't. She complained with a cute pout of her lip. She's 25. She's 25. She's playing like she's 16. She's 20 fucking five. <laughs> she's in her mid-20s. She's at least 23, 24. <laughs> It's so weird. It's so weird. It's like, lady, this is even weirder than if it's an 18-year-old doing it. What is going on here? What are you doing? Of course I will. I am merely thinking of a new way to punish you, my dear Alice. I replied, honestly. Every other time, it had been the same punishment of spanking her and then making love to her until we both came. While it was fun and exciting to punish her, I felt like doing more with her since she was so willing. I think that today we will bring a whole new level of punishment to our little games. Oh, her eyes lit up expectantly. What do you have in mind, Mr. Wright? I began to slowly unbutton her blouse. Rookie move. Always do it quickly after some bullshit like that. And reversed her lacy white bra beneath. I had to remove her blouse while I massaged her breasts with both hands. I used my thumbs to rub her tender nipples that stood and swelled temptingly. I unfastened her bra, let it fall to the ground, and pinched her rosy nipples between my thumb and forefingers. I grinned at her as she began to softly moan. I twisted them sharply and she let out a gasp of surprise. I continued to twist them between my fingers, drawing her skin taut, and her moaning became increasingly louder. I released one of the nipples, moving my hand downward, and pulled up her short skirt. 
I uncovered her white lace panties and felt my cock shift happily inside my pants. I ran my thumb over her pussy lips through the sheer fabric with my thumb and felt her moisten. Moisten. I pressed harder, rubbed from top to bottom of her slit and noticed how wet she became. I felt my cock throb wildly. And I groaned. Alice, you evil seductress. I growled as I yanked her to her feet. I think I shall really teach you the value of skills today. <laughs> That's like a line that Jeremy Iron says in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. I think I shall teach you the value of skills today. I spun her around and so that her back was to me, bent her over the desk, and pulled her arms behind my back. I used my tie to bind her wrists together and wrapped it up her arms to end at her elbows. Her arms were securely bound now. I left her momentarily so that I could grab the broom. I undid the head of the broom from the handle and used the handle to assist me in keeping her legs spread wide. I used my shoelaces to fasten her ankles to the broom handle. Author's note, professors in America are in crisis. Adjunct professors have been used for the last decade, 15 years, and salaries are down. Please, won't you invest in American education and tell your law, uh, tell your law policymakers to do the same so that your local professor won't have to use shitty fucking shoestrings for their BDSM planned in advanced sex sessions? Think of it today. I drew my hands down from her breast to her wet womanhood and then round to the back where I massaged her firm, tight ass. Oh, Mr. Wright. Exposed like this, I I feel... Before she could finish speaking, I shoved her ruined panties into her mouth and told her to keep it in. Your moaning, your voice makes it hard to control myself, Alice. Be a good little slut and keep your noises to yourself from now. I scolded her, wagging my finger. I grabbed two alligator paper clips from my desk and attached them to her nipples. They pinched them firmly, and Alice attempted to protest through her panties, and by shaking her head. I grabbed her ponytail, forcing her head backwards, and hissed, Good little girls don't complain when their masters are teasing them. Do you understand, my sweet little girl? She nodded, and made no further attempts to protest. I used a third clip on her clit! and watched her shudder as the pressure and pleasure soared through her sight flame, slight frame. I flicked the clit clip. That's like I rode the moonworm from Doom. I flicked the clit clip! <laughs> Arms out wide. Men just bashing their hands together. <sighs> I flicked the clit clip, and her knees almost buckled from the intensity of her pleasure, pleasure, 
Pleasure is something I have to read if I'm reading it verbatim. Her pussy was soaking wet now and dripped onto my desk. I knelt beside her, used my fingers to spread her lips, and watched as the juices slid down the slide, the sides of her wet hole. I leaned inward, ran my tongue across her gaping entrance, and tasted her sweetly sour juices. I drove my tongue deep inside her and lapped up her nectar. As I savored her, I reached into my pants, withdrew my rock-solid cock, and rubbed my thumb over the tip. My body convulses with intense desire, and I had severe difficulty maintaining self-control and composure. I moved from her while I struggled to regain myself, and I was recovering, though I thought about new ways to tantalize her. I couldn't be the only one enjoying this. I opened the glass cabinet that securely held the supplies needed for my class. <laughs> that's, that's like a Vincent adult man line. That's so fucking funny. I opened the glass cabinet that secured the supplies I needed to teach my class because I'm a class teacher. And removed several items from within. Yes, don't be specific. I set the items on the desk beside her and relocked the cabinet. Safety first. I pour some cold oil down over her puckered anus. And I let it flow across her opened pussy. Ooh, no good. Mm -mm, mm -mm. You gotta keep them separated. I set the bottle aside before I picked up two of the thicker test tubes. Oh no! And rubbed one against her anus! Her rosy bud twitched happily as I teasingly massaged it. And when I pushed the test tube inside, it greedily tugged at the rest of it. I shoved the remaining length in, and then grinned when her asshole tried to devour the small bit remaining. <laughs> Alice, your naughty ass is greedy. You should see how devoured the test tube I put in you, I commented as I brushed the other test tube against her hot, wet, gaping pussy. Do you think your pussy is hungry as well? Do you think it'll take all of this? She wiggled her bottom and pleaded at me with sparkling sapphire eyes between wheatfield hair. I ran the test tube forcefully into her hole and groaned. Her sensational pussy eating consumed it, easily consumed it, and I wanted to do the same with my cock. I had to walk around in front of her in order to keep myself in check. I removed her panties, jammed my hard-on into her mouth, and began to rock back and forth. Her surprise only added to my enjoyment, and I found myself unable to stop. I grabbed her head, pulled her closer, and pushed my cock deeper. I could hear her gagging, but I couldn't do anything to slow myself. <laughs> what a line. That's like a Patrick Bateman line from fucking American Psycho. Holy shit, just so casual. After a moment, she managed to take me without gagging, and soon she was working her tongue skillfully over my cock. I quickened my pace as she increased her skill, and suddenly I filled her mouth with my hot, sticky semen. I grabbed her chin and demanded she swallow all of it. No wasting anything. 
I told her. When she faithfully obeyed me, I removed my cock and kissed her passionately. She tasted like salty cherry chapstick. <laughs> I'm not sure this guy has any kind of taste working properly for him. He has no sense of decorum, so he has no sense of taste there, but then also the pussy was sour and his cum was sweet like chapstick. Oh, we're ending on that one. I'm sorry. That was After Class Punishment by Zelfina on uh, on Literotica. Thank you to whoever suggested those last two. We've got two more smutty ones, uh, silly ones we'll save for next Friday the 11th. Same, same Jack time, same Jack channel. Just... That one was already kind of amazing before the test tubes came out. And then the fact that sliding a test tubes into a student was clearly the fantasy the whole time. Like, that's that's 100%. <laughs> that's a winner. You're not really going to, like, if you guess randomly, you're not going to do better than that. Because everybody can guess, like, a, a scary fetish. Or, like, you know, like, you know, he likes to chain her up until she poos or pees and then he fucks her like, eh. but we're all going to see that coming from a mile away. It's going to be gross. This was perfect. This was a guy who kind of sounded normal for like four or five paragraphs. And then it turns out that what he really gets off over is uh, just shoving test tubes into gals. <laughs> Five bucks says, five bucks says Alice was never late to another fucking class again.